श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा के जाय गौर भक्त वृंद की जाय गौर प्रेम we we gathered tonight we can speak a little bit um i don't know if you want to ask questions or want me to speak i could speak about a question that might be good um i had something like that in mind um is that all right um and uh, we can always make time for other questions so if you're permission then uh let me speak a little bit about um about a question that's very central to our tradition i think uh, appropriately it's a question that's very central to human life and um in in doing so uh we'll turn to the great Srimad Bhagavatam, so we'll speak a little bit about that, get a little acquaintance with that important uh, text amongst the many sacred texts of the Hindus. And um, and while speaking about the central question of that text, and maybe we're going to meet tomorrow, we'll speak about the answer to the question as well. And then we're going to meet next week also, right? So we'll follow up on something maybe more down to earth for a larger group, hmm? something practical for everyday lives um, drawn from what we discuss this evening. So, so Srimad Bhagavatam is, of course, a famous text, the Bhagavat Purana. It has a peculiar name in that it has two names. It's it's. All the Puranas are known as this Purana and that Purana. We have the Kurma Purana, the Shiva Purana, the uh, Vaman Purana, so many Purana. There are 18 principal Purana. Purana. Purana means, Purana means old, of course, ancient. And it may also be understood, as it is in our tradition, to mean Purana, which, which, which completes, like in Purnam. Hmm? Which completes, so it's a it's a type of sacred text of the Hindus that, of course, is in narrative form. So many stories, and the stories, uh, um, ancient, let's call them script- scriptural, spiritual histories of sorts, they appear in in different Puranas, and some of them even appear briefly in the Upanishads that the Puranas follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow come afterwards, I mean, but they come after them, the Upanishads, in a way that makes the wisdom of the Upanishads more readily understandable. Mm-hmm. Just like if you want to tell your kids some, make some philosophical point to your children, well, they might be a little bored with that, but if you tell them a story, hmm, and then in the context of the story, you make the point, and it's a little more palatable. So, in this way, our understanding of the Puranas, as far as the sacred texts of the Hindus go, is that they kind of complete or play out or speak to us in a way that makes more accessible the Shruti. The Smriti makes the Shruti more accessible. Shruti means that which is heard. The idea behind the Shruti, that which is heard, is, is that it's out there, and it's heard. <laughs> just like in, many of you may work in the IT industry so India seems to be quite uh, proficient in mathematics and um, I think the number zero comes from comes from the Hindus and Einstein said without the Indians we couldn't do any science as much as math is so central to science hmm? it's central to all the sciences which are all have an empiric component, but math itself has no empiric component. Um, so there are a couple of theories 
prominent about math. One, that it is the invention of the human mind by which uh, the underlying structure of the world is described. The other and incidentally more popular theory hmm, amongst mathematicians of old, like Pythagoras and uh, and Euclid and even in the modern day, uh, Eugene Wigner and, and the majority of mathematicians today, like uh, Roger Penrose, for example, and others. The majority opinion is that math is mathematics is not something that's invented, but it's discovered. Hmm? That it's out there. Hmm? There are these abstract equations, I guess, and formulas. And, I mean, it's the idea is that humans didn't invent didn't invent squares, or spheres, or pi, or whatever. <laughs> um, but it's out there to be discovered, and it, and it underlies the structure of the physical world and exists beyond it, beyond the physical and beyond the mental world as well, in a, if you will, mathematical world of its own. And math is logic, so it's a logical, it's a reasonable world, hmm? if you will. This is a very platonic type of idea. And um, along with uh, logic, it would seem, would come the good and the beautiful. Hmm? So this is how the Hindus think about, really, in the bhakti tradition, trans, a trans-temporal and trans-spatial world, if you will, of, of Leela, hmm? for example, of divine play. Hmm? And, um, and there, is, there are messages in the Upanishads, sounds there, if you will, that are thought to be, again, discovered. Now, those, let's take there are sounds that, you know, our range of hearing sounds is very limited. We can only hear within a certain range. We can't hear what dogs can hear. We can't hear what so many things here. We can't hear all the sounds out there by any stretch of the imagination, all of which accompany all of the movement. Even the electron moving within the atom has a sound. We can't hear it, but the sound is very um, central to the physical reality, and the Vedic idea is is that the world comes out of sound. Hmm? Um, and so there are sounds. The Upanishads are some of those sounds, and the sounds they they come in and they're kind of like translated, so to speak, in in human sense, voiced, I should say, uh, through Sanskrit, and we have these abstract, shruti texts that are aparusheya. Hmm? They're not created by the humans, but they're discovered by the humans by a particular method of discovery, hmm? a particular approach to nature and understanding uh, reality, which is kind of a kind of a humble approach, if you will, kind of a, kind of based on the idea that perfect knowing requires a perfect method of knowing, and that perfect method of knowing transcends the limits of the of our rational faculty, which is imperfect for knowing or for, I should say, arriving at conclusive truth, truth that will make us perfectly happy unto itself. Intellect won't do that. I mean, I'm not, intellect has its purpose, but that's not its purpose. Therefore, any, 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 any subject can be debated over and over again from many different angles. Keep listening and you might take the other side. And it goes around. The, the, the sutras of Vyas make the claim, Tarko Pratishtanat. You know what? Tarko means reason, argumentation, and so forth. By reason, by argumentation, you can never get any Pratishta, any firm ground to stand on. Hmm? And that, I would say, in terms of knowing that informs action, the action by which we can become happy or fulfilled, or we cannot get the kind of knowing that is comprehensive. By that I mean not the knowing that we know everything, hmm. However, but we know that knowing this, we know what needs to be known, hmm. a knowing that satisfies one, hmm. a kind of knowing by which other facts and factoids and so forth don't have much um, attraction 
a knowing of the self that lies beyond the limits, that itself lies beyond the limits of logic and reasoning, beyond the physical, beyond the mental, beyond the intellectual world. So, so there are sounds to be discovered, and the idea is something like the math idea, that the mantra they have some type of some type of a formula of sound that has kind of two purposes. A purpose in one sense that can give arrangement to the world and at the same time can give, uh, can afford transcendence of it. So you have the typical Brahma through sound is arranging the world. Hmm? Um, I saw a YouTube video recently in which uh, demonstrated that they had created a machine in Harvard that by sound it puts out fire. Yes. And they showed it. They, lit, they put some gas on the ground and they lit up and they took this, the machine over. I couldn't hear the sound, I, but, but some, the fire could hear it. <laughs> and psh, the fire went out. Like that. Uh, and, um, and another one by sound, they, they caused water drops to, to levitate and so forth. So sound is of course is considered from the Vedic point of view an element like earth, water, fire, air hmm? and so on. Uh, and we are somewhat adept in manipulating the, the fire element, electricity, computers and technology is very much driven by that. The sound element has not been exploited or understood um, uh, by the technicians as, uh, as, as, as well as, as the fire element. But the idea is that Brahma is some type of a you know, sound technician <laughs> <laughs> to the extreme. <laughs> and, uh, and by sounds, the, the world is categorized, categorized and known. That's what language does, after all. By language, which is sound, we categorize the world and we know it. We understand it. So, so anyway, we have the sounds of the Shruti, and they're very abstract, and and so on. And then we have the, the Puranas, which take the sounds and kind of turn them into narratives, make them more understandable. So that's what we call the Puranas. So there are eighteen Mahapuranas and many Upa Puranas, minor Puranas, and, and so on, and um, they're directed at different types of people, like sattvic people, like rajasic people, like tamasic people. And so they promote, different ideas are promoted within there that will tender to, that tender to the psychology, the way in which the gunas affect the psychology of different types of people. So, at any rate, among these Puranas, then, again, we have the, we have the Shiva Purana, the Kuma Purana, the Brahmana Purana, the Brahma Purana, this Purana, that Purana. We also have the Bhagavad Purana. Hmm? But the Bhagavad Purana is also, unlike all the other Puranas, known by another name as well. Srimad Bhagavatam. Hmm? That name is heralded in some of the other Puranas. Hmm? The Garuda Purana, for example, refers to the Bhagavad Purana as the Srimad Bhagavatam. And it says some very um, interesting things about it. It says, Gayatri Vasya Rupo So Vedarta Paribrimhita. And it says that Arto Yam Brahmasutranam. Arto Yam Brahmasutranam. Arto means the meaning, the value, the meaning. Arto Yam Brahmasutranam. That in the Bhagavad we can find the meaning of the Brahmasutras. The Brahma Sutras are the first attempt in human society uh, at theology, which is to make sense out of revelation. This happened in Europe much later, when the uh, the Catholics at that time, who were the uh, this was I think before the Protestant Revolution, who were the you know the only Christians, if you will, they they had a, found a necessity to. Consider their faith in relation to certain 
um, to, to, in relation to reason and certain observable facts. Hmm? Um, and so there was a, that's what we call theology then, you know, you can have reason about the simple, the, the implications of revelation. So in, in, the, in the Eastern tradition, you have the oldest book in the world, the Rig Veda, you have these hymns and sounds, and, and uh, with all, each of the four Vedas there are different Upanishads attached and so forth. And, and um, how do you make sense out of those jungle of sounds, if you will? So this is what, what it said that Vyas tried to do in, in the Brahma Sutras, Vedanta Sutra. There it's kind of like he's taking notes, right? Trying to make notes, you know. Tatamasi, what does that mean? He takes a note. Tato Brahma Jignasu, he writes that. So, so then what we have in the great traditions of the Vedanta hmm, is interpretations of Vyasa's notes, trying to make sense out of his notes hmm, and, and understand what the concerted opinion is of all these body of sounds. Is it, is it just a jungle of sounds or does it have a concerted opinion? Does it have a, a, um, a central thrust that it's trying to um, explain to us? Hmm? And uh, so, the different traditions of Vedanta are distinguished by their commentaries, like the Sharirak, Basha, uh, you have of Shankar, you have the... Um, the uh, Sri Basha of Ramanuja, hmm? uh, the Madhvas, the, these are different traditions of Vedanta, have their, uh, their uh, commentary and so on and so forth. Hmm? So in our tradition, hmm, Chaitanya Bhakti, hmm, Krishna Bhakti, as, as, as exemplified and, and, um, and taught by Sri Chaitanya, hmm? um, We take the statement of the Garuda Purana um, very seriously, where it says, Srimad Bhagavatam is, explains the meaning, Artoyam Brahma Sutranam, of the Brahma Sutras. The reason here, reasoning here is this, that the legendary Vyas, who is thought to have penned or edited, compiled the sacred Sounds into 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 literature and so forth. Um, if he himself, in the form of the Srimad Bhagavatam, explained the meaning of the sutras, then we don't need to have a separate commentary. Hmm? Hmm? It's reasonable. Hmm? So in this way, we put some emphasis on on Srimad Bhagavatam, and of course, Srimad Bhagavatam is peculiar in a, in this way in a number of other ways. As I'm mentioning, the very name Srimad Bhagavatam is peculiar in that it's the Bhagavad Purana, but it's also named the Srimad Bhagavatam. Different Puranas describe it as such. So it's, it's, a, it's a kind of an honorific, the Srimad Bhagavatam. I mean, Srimad means a number of things. It means the beautiful Bhagavatam, the beautiful Purana that tells the beautiful what story of beauty itself. That is, I mean, Krishna is more beautiful than Durga. I mean, she's nice too, but I mean, he he exemplifies beauty and heart and charm and love and uh, romanticism. And he's a hopeless romantic, uh, Krishna. And and of course, if you look closely at Krishna, like the Srimad Bhagavatam does, you keep looking, you see he's not alone. We say he has a counter hole in the person of Radha, who is Bhakti herself. Bhakti and Bhagwan. These two are one and different at the same time. There's no meaning to teacher without students. There's no meaning to Bhagwan without Bhakti. So they complementary, right? They complement one another, they validate one another. You can be Bhagawan if you've got bhaktas. I mean, if you're a bhakta, you have to have a Bhagawan. Or if you're a student, you have to have a teacher. If, you, if you're a lover, you have to have a love, an object of love, and so forth. Hmm? So this is, of course, the a doctrine of Shakti and Shaktiman. Hmm? 
Radha being the Shakti, Krishna being the Shakti Man, hmm? and uh, like 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 one soul, two bodies, something like that. And while the word in the title Srimad Bhagavatam, the word Bhagavata refers to Krishna, hmm? who's the main subject? I mean, the book is twelve cantos, and the tenth canto is is by far the largest one. It's almost bigger in length than all of the other nine cantos put together. That's the main subject of the text, the beautiful and charming Leela's the story, really, of Krishna. I liken it to a theological sequel to the Gita, which Krishna spoke, the Gita, and he said, Manmana Abhava Mat Bhakto. He said, if you want to keep it simple, let's just just become my devotee. Of all things I've said here, let me conclude with this. And how to do it? Sarva Dharma Pratyaja Du Sharanagati. It's up to me. Hmm? And then the Bhagavad picks up with his story. Hmm? This is one story. Krishna spoke to Bhagavad Gita to Krishna. What else did he do? Hmm? He must be an extraordinary person. <laughs> and why was he there at that Kurukshetra? And what was happening? And where did he come from? And so, oh, we're, we're going to be his devotee. Then we have to find out about him. And the more specificity, the more possibility of loving. The more you know about him, the more lovable you find um, him to be, and so forth. So the Bhagavatam is a sequel in that way, um, and a theologically also, it it really goes into some depth as to, ontologically speaking, what is bhakti. Hmm? So, that being the case, while the word Bhagavatam, in the title Srimad Bhagavatam, refers to Bhagavan Sri Krishna, the word Sri, Srimad, means the beautiful Bhagavata, the beautiful form of the Godhead, but it also is a reference to Radha who makes Krishna more beautiful. Krishna is called Madan Mohan. So Cupid makes you think other people are beautiful, hmm? more beautiful than someone else. <laughs> right? Cupid does that too. So you, you fall in love with somebody. This is Cupid's influence. And but Krishna is called Madan Mohan. Madan means Cupid. Mohan means bewilders. So Cupid bewilders everyone, but Krishna bewilders Cupid. Hmm? But Radha is called Madan Mohan Mohini, who bewilders, he who bewilders Cupid. Hmm? Indeed, Krishna is Brahman. Krishna is Bhagwan Narayan, Om, God. Hmm? Influenced by a shakti, bhakti, in such a way that practically speaking, the Brahman has become a plaything in the hands of a shakti. Hmm? Hmm. This is a fact. Krishna is the Godhead, that's true. But he reasons that people worship me. People think of me as God, but there's something about me that most people don't know. Hmm? What is that? That while peace of people worship me, I am drawn to worship Radha. That's peculiar. Hmm? Thinking like this, he has to question his own identity. Hmm? What am I? People say I'm God, but I'm drawn to worship somebody else. Hmm? How can that be? And then, of course, he reasons that what makes Radha attractive to him is the something in him that she can see, that you can see through the eyes of Bhakti, that even he cannot fully understand. Hmm? Just like your partner or your wife, let's say, can see things in you that, you know, you can't quite see. And she lets you know, <laughs> this is what you really like. <laughs> something like that. Hmm. And so this is a very peculiar history of the Godhead, history of the love life of Godhead. And in the context of this history, Purana, of the love life of Godhead, we find out about, about love of God. Hmm? Love of God and its power, its influence. Hmm? And how it can, it can draw us to God and draw God to it also. So Radha is drawing us to God and drawing Krishna to herself and never taking the credit. She wants to stay in the background. 
but we want to bring her to the foreground, something like bring bhakti to the foreground. So this is a basic idea of the Srimad Bhagavatam, a famous book, and amongst the, uh, the Hindus in general, um, and the world in general, as far as their acquaintance with Hinduism, it is one of, I think, three books that are probably the most popular. You have the Gita, which is very popular. You have the Ramayana, hmm? widely read, widely translated in every Indian dialect, probably. Hmm? And you have the Bhagavad Purana. Why? Because of the stories of Krishna within it. Those are, and that's the popular section. People sometimes are not so philosophical. They just like the stories, you know. <laughs> But of course, it has nine cantos of philosophy that lead up to the tenth, so that you can make some theological and philosophical sense out of the leela of Krishna. Hmm? What is it actually? Not what it appears like. Just a young boy and a young girl, something dancing in a forest or something like that. No, so so it's a very one of the very uh, prominent, uh, popular texts. Popular texts, I should say. Um, the, 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 and it's been translated in all the Indian dialects. It's been commented on, this Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam. There are 80, over 80 different Sanskrit commentaries of the Bhagavatam. Sanskrit, of course, is the religious and intellectual language of the religious and, and, and mystical people of India, the mystics. Hmm? So the mystics have given it considerable attention. 80 plus different commentaries on the implications of the text and so forth. So a very uh, special book. Just wanted to give that introduction. Mm-hmm. And then to the central question that it asks. Mm-hmm. The storyline of the Bhagavatam is one in which there are stories within stories within stories within stories. So a story is told and a question is asked and the answer is given by way of telling another story. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's complicated in, in that way to follow the storyline. Um, but each of the significant storytellers in the Bhagavatam, and each of the significant uh, of their significant students, um, they, all of them, if you study carefully, see, all have as their Ishtadevata, hmm? Krishna. Hmm? Narada, Sukadev, hmm? Shanakarishi, Maitreya, Vidura, hmm? Yudhisthira, and so forth. They are all, they are all uh, devotees of Krishna. Hmm? And um, and so questions within, answers within questions and narratives, a narrative after narrative, with narrative within narrative. But the beginning and the central narrative of the whole book that all these other narratives fall within is, of course, the narrative of Raj Parikshit. Parikshit means inquirer. Hmm? He was of an inquiring nature, hmm? as we should be, hmm? and about purposeful things. And we find that he makes a significant inquiry in the text, owing largely to what might be thought of as extraordinary circumstances. The extraordinary circumstances are that he is cursed to die, hmm? and he has seven days. Now, as I said before, that may seem as extraordinary circumstances, but we are all cursed to die in seven days, right? It's either Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday that our mortal frame, <laughs> our mortal frame will fail us. Right, our biological and psychological sense of self will show themselves for what they are. They are a fantasy in terms of there ever being an eighth day, if you will. If there's anything beyond the seven days and, and nights. Of the of the physical world as we know it, hmm? if there are if there is a, a world beyond the mental and beyond the physical, let's call it the the hundred and eighth day, something like that. Eighth day plus something. So we won't know that. We won't fully experience that as much as we are identified with an existence that endures only for seven days. So we don't think about it like that. But we only have seven days 
to live. This is what the Bhagavatam is saying to us. So it's not such an extraordinary circumstance that the Bhagavatam is dealing with and that gave rise to the very pertinent question of Maharaj Parikshit. His question was, at the time of death, what should I do? And he was smart enough to realize that that what I will do will depend upon what I do now. What I do then will depend upon what I do now. Hmm? So you want to know what is the best thing for a human being to do? What is the best? What, what's the best occupation? What kind of job should I get? Hmm? How, how, what, what is the best thing to be preoccupied with? What is the the dharma? What, what should I do? Hmm? What is the the best dharma for human society? Hmm? By which life will be lived most perfectly by way of solving the death problem. Because most of, for most of us, the way in which we live, death is a problem. Because we live um, in such a way that our life and sense of self is derived from the attachments that we have to family, to friends, to country, to work, our income, whatever. And yeah, and all those things, you know, are here today and gone tomorrow. So, when death comes to remind us of that, then it's a problem because I've lived in such a way that I'm attached to things that nature is showing me that I can't keep. I, I read an article uh, recently about the people in Burma, hmm? and it was a scientific study of how the people in Burma were per capita happier than. People in many other parts of the world, it was really kind of a comparison. I think this pertains to the Eastern world to a larger extent uh, in, in comparison to people of, of the Americas and, and, and Europe. They were happier because Burma, of course, is right next to, to India. My father was stationed in Burma in World War II. As a, as a um, just as a note here, remind me of that. Uh, it reminds me, as I mentioned it, as a, as a, uh, in the Air Force. Hmm? And, um, and so he, he also spent a lot of time in Calcutta. So when we were kids, whenever my mother would make rice, he said, I've eaten enough rice <laughs> for my whole life, you know. See, but I always loved rice. <laughs> so anyway, Burma, India, you know, Burma, Thailand, Thailand used to be called Siam, and Burma, you know, it was probably called Brahma and Sham. It's probably what they were called in the ancient times of the India was further spread out in the east. Have you ever been to Thailand? I've been to Thailand. And the capital is um, of Thailand is uh, Bangkok. Bangkok. And in Bangkok, they have a, a palace of Ram, King Ram the something third or something like that, and if you go into the palace, you go into the palace, and on the walls of the palace is a something that looks like Ramayan being drawn, but then you're not sure, mm-hmm. and, and so forth. So it's a form of the of the Ramayana. So what I found, I thought this is like Indy kind of on on tilt a little bit. It's or, or ancient culture. It's kind of. Like, and you you have that uh, Vishnu temple in Angkor Wat in Cambodia, the largest Vishnu temple that's found there. So some some archaeological and other type of evidence that the the, the sense of Bharat was larger uh, than it is now. Anyway, so the Burmese people and I, and I think as much as the the, the culture that it's derived from the connection with India and ancient Hindus were happier people, and the reason they were giving as to why, scientifically speaking, uh, today the Burmese people were happier is because they, on a regular basis, were taught in childhood to contemplate the fact that of death. They were regularly taught, on a regular basis, like once a day, think about it, that I'm going to die. Hmm? Hmm? And as a result, they became more relaxed. They, they were dealing with it. Instead of hiding from a truth, hmm? And keeping it out of the, you know, 
light and so forth. With a little tiny page, obituaries over here. <laughs> something like that. You know, take the graves and put them over somewhere. You know, something like that. Quick, burn the body. You know, something. So instead of you know hiding from the fact, they acknowledge it. They embraced it. They learned it, and it it caused them to be able to deal with difficulties. Um, uh, even at more of an ups and downs on more of an even keel. Hmm? Well, there'll be ups, there'll be downs, but yeah, that's the nature of it, and and so on. So, so in one sense, to live our lives successfully is to die successfully, to understand death, hmm? to solve the problem of death. Obviously, I'm not talking about freezing your, you know, <laughs> your body, you know, and like Hollywood people are paying to do so and hope that someday they'll be able to inject some chemical in there and they'll come back, you know, and continue to do what they're doing, you know, um, whatever that is, which often isn't that good of an example, but um, no, I'm not talking about that. Hmm? I'm not talking about uh, preserving the biological sense of self, but dealing with the problem philosophically and practically, because it's a problem only because of our attachment. Therefore, the speaker who came to answer Parikit's question, Parikit was the king, so he had this question, and and he went to the, to the bank of the Ganga hmm, to fast. That's how interested he was in the question. Hmm. He, was, he also realized something very interesting. Because how did he get cursed? Well, in the Bhagavad, the story is told that he was out in the forest and he came to a rishi's hermitage and the rishi was in trance and he didn't recognize the king and the king was thirsty. He didn't even offer the king water. So the king became a little angry with him, hmm? a little upset. He just, he God's a sage. He doesn't even know the etiquette, how to receive a guest. And so he garlanded him with a snake. Hmm? And then his son found his father in that condition, so his son cursed the king hmm, to die uh, in seven days. And the sage was very upset with his son. Oh, no, he shouldn't have done like that. Hmm? Parikshit is a great person, and in a moment he does something small like this, not to be taken seriously and so forth. But the king himself, the Raj himself, was thinking, because of thirst and a desire for food, hmm, I'm going to die. You see? We think that we live by eating and drinking. We think that if I eat and drink, I'll live, and if I don't eat and I don't drink, I won't live. But the king realized eating and drinking is causing me to die. Hmm? Because it's causing me to identify hmm, with that biological sense of self that doesn't endure and all the problems that go with being attached to something that won't endure. So he stopped eating. Hmm? He stopped drinking. He fasted. And he thought, these things have caused my problem. Hmm? So you can see he was a great person, although he did something out of character for a moment to go decide, I'm cursed to die, I'm going to fast for seven days and inquire internally. Hmm? what is the real purpose, meaning of life? What is death? Hmm. I want to solve the problem. Sometimes we find great persons do something out of character, but something great comes of it. So we can understand there's someone behind that. Hmm? So Prikshit Maharaj or the great devotees may be used by Krishna, for example, in certain ways to teach something. Hmm? So Prikshit sat on the bank of the Ganges and he fasted from food and drink and you can imagine it was a big event because if President Obama decided to go to the bank of the Mississippi and fast, <laughs> right, because I've got, I'm president and I want to know what, I realize it's only a temporary thing. I've only got a few more months, you know, left and, and uh, whatever. <laughs> and so I want to know a higher purpose in life, you know, the newspapers and the, Everyone on TVs would be there, you know. President sits on bank of Mississippi, fasting to inquire. Hmm? So the Raj <laughs> went to the bank of the Ganga and he inquired. How did he inquire? 
Hmm? Did he send out an email everywhere? No. Did he make a web page and say, you know, please answer my question? No. We 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 are fond of our internet and an ability that that it that it affords us to find out things and so on. But this was a different. He had a different way of inquiry, inquiring. He inquired within. Hmm? With introspection, he went within. He, the implication of his fasting also is that he went within, hmm? right? Because if, for example, even if involuntarily I was to take you and capture you and put you in a room and lock you up and not give you food and drink, the only way that you could deal with that would be to try to go internal and start to become more philosophical and and, and kind of rise above the body, and the mind. Hmm? So even if involuntarily our senses are restrained from the sense objects, what happens is the internal organ, the intellect, starts to come and mind starts to take precedence. And the opposite is true. If you're just a party animal, then you know, you're not a very bright person usually either. If you're just living for the for Indriya Sukha, hmm? Love of the senses. Uh, you know, this is they have these schools that that Playboy magazine rates every year, which is the best party school. Hmm. Kind of doesn't go together, party and school, really. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> those aren't the ones that you know you get the best-paying job from, for graduating from. Hmm? So, so the fact that. <laughs> He was fasting and so forth. He was introspective. He went within. He tried to answer the question of life, what is death, which is a big part of understanding life, through introspection. Introspection, and he was a bhakta, so with prayer. After all, Parikshit had a very extraordinary experience in his childhood. It's described in the Bhagavatam, right? He was a child, and his mother was named Uttara. Hmm? And... Um, that, um, what is his name? Abhimanyu. Abhimanyu. Ashwatthama shot the Yeah, Ashwatthama. Anyway, Ashwatthama tried to uh, abort yes. the um, child of Uttara, and the story of the Bhagavatam is that Krishna protected him. Hmm? And so he had some experience in the womb, and he said his name was Parikshit because he was always kind of looking for who was that? What, what is that? So he went within, he inquired, and he inquired in a, in, a, in a prayerful way, like Brahma is said to have inquired at the dawn of creation. Hmm? The dawn of creation, Brahma wondered, who am I? Why am I? What is my source? What is my purpose? And he heard a sound, one of those sounds, right, that's out there that not everybody can hear. But if you tune yourself in, the idea is, properly in terms of introspection and and acknowledgement of your lack of knowing and therefore your necessity, your need, hmm? then answer may come. Hmm? This is also how we found a, find a guru. If we don't have a necessity, then <laughs> even if we meet a guru, we, we won't recognize. It's just boring us with some long talk, you know. Hmm? But if we have some necessity... Hmm? To know to to, to to make a comprehensive solution to life's problem, then then we may be receptive to a different kind of knowledge. Hmm? So Brahma was like this, and then he heard these sounds: tapa, tapa, tapa. Tapa means light. Tapa means penance. Tapa means light, penance, knowledge. It's the same thing I'm saying. Austerity is a is a penance, where you kind of punish your senses. You fasting, you withdraw them from sense objects, and then some knowledge can come. Some other kind of knowledge can come. Hmm? So, tapa means light, and knowledge, and penance. So he fasted, he went within, and tapa means also like, well, it means like bhakti as a form of knowledge. Hmm? The knowing that I am dependent and acknowledging it. The knowing that I am imperfect and in order to perfect myself, I need the ingress of imperfection because out of 
of, of perfection, because out of imperfection, perfection will not come. Hmm? So, a petition, um, something like that. It's said that if you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. So with a loving kind of attitude towards our source, whatever that might be, Brahma didn't know. Hmm? But I have a source. Make yourself known to me that I may better know myself in light of my source. So he did the tapa, and then he got another sound. Krishna Krishnaya Govindaya Gupijana Balabhaya Swaha. And Krishna appeared to him and spoke to him. This is at the dawn of creation. So, Parikshit went within and he inquired and so many people gathered from all different disciplines and whatnot. And then suddenly, as if out of nowhere, came the boy, Sukadev. He was dressed in nothing, naked. But no one was upset because they thought, a naked, naked boy is here, get some clothes on, son, not like that because they could see he was wise also. And the implication of his nakedness was that he had no attachments. Hmm? He was so internally absorbed that he was oblivious to the fact of his, of his external uh, condition. Hmm? He was a real kind of Naga Baba, not like some of these characters uh, Im- imitate such there from Himalayas and so forth. I've met. <laughs> He, he, was, he was young. Hmm? He was young. If Raj was older, hmm, it means that, that knowledge may come from anywhere. Be surprised. I mean, you're Hindus. You're listening to me. <laughs> I'm from America. If, you know, telling you about your own culture. It's kind of backwards. You should be telling me. Hmm? My guru Maharaj used to say, the difference between the Americans and the Indians, and he said, is that the Indians are only ten steps from Krishna. And the Americans are hundred steps, but the Indians are turned the other way. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> and the Americans are turned toward Krishna, at least the ones he met. <laughs> so, so anyway, I'm not telling you something you don't you don't know. Somehow, in the sun, you have some scar for this. It's deep inside of you from many lives. Therefore, it resonates with you. It's easy. It goes in very easily. It's not a big argument to convince you. That there could be sounds that are not known. You're not troubled by some physical conception that everything has to fit in, <laughs> even though you're mathematicians and uh, and so on, and, and computer scientists, some of you, and so on. So, uh, so anyway, the Raj made this kind of internal inquiry, and on the scene came Sukadev, the boy, and. And he and he and that and everyone assembled knew he knows the answers. He knows the answer to how to solve the death problem, because he is obviously not attached to anything. Therefore, death won't be a problem because it won't constitute something being taken away from him that he wants to have that he feels is a necessity in order for him to to live. That his, his sense of self is not based on that. This is the same thing, of course, Krishna told Arjuna in the first chapter of the Gita. first chapter of the Gita, sometimes thought, well, we'll skip over that. It's just some stories from the Mahabharata, you know, this one, that one. And let's get to the second chapter where the, where the wisdom starts. It's very wise in the first chapter where Krishna says to Arjuna, Arjuna says, Can you put, Bring my chariot up between the two armies so I can see... Who's here? He says, Krishna says, sure. Here, I stopped right here, in front of Bhishma and Drona. Hmm? As if to say to Arjun, here's who you have to kill, Bhishma and Drona. What? My teacher? Practically, Bhishma is my father, hmm? raised by him. Drona is my teacher. All my valor and expertise in the military arts is I owe to my teacher. And you're telling me there on the other side I have to kill them? Hmm? Of course, what, what Krishna is saying to him is this, is that you have to kill your attachments, your identity that's derived from this identification, because even Bhishma and Drona will pass, hmm? even if you don't kill them. Hmm? 
So you have to slay your attachment to them in such a way that, that when they do pass, it won't be a problem for you because you will know hmm, what you are and what they are beyond the human appearances hmm, of teacher, of father, of grandfather, of mother, and husband, and wife, and so on and so forth. Hmm? Now, that detachment is a tall order because some of you are nodding your heads, but you're not just going to go home and get a divorce or something. <laughs> Swami said I shouldn't be attached. Maybe we should get divorced. <laughs> but what about the children? <laughs> no, that's not the message. Hmm? Um, but, but, but in one sense, Gyan does say that to us. It's very harsh. Knowledge, if, if, if the corollary of knowledge is bairagya, if corollary of Gyan is bairagya, detachment. Hmm? In other words, if you really know, then you know that an identity that is derived from attachment to things that don't endure is one that won't endure. Do you understand that point I just made? Think about that. It's a little complicated. I want to say it again for some of the younger people. Think about this. The identity that we have, if our identity is derived, if our sense of being is derived from what we have, I have this, I have a car, I have that, I have certain parents, I have um, good intelligence, I have a house, I have friends, I have so many things. If I have the, if my, and that's who I am then. You understand? My being is derived from my sense of what I have. This is a very vacuous sense of being because you don't have anything that you can keep. What do you have that you can keep? I mean, death tells us we can't keep whatever it is, right? Hmm? And so if our identity is entirely derived from our sense of having, this identity is as ethereal hmm, as the sense of having. Time, the Gita, Krishna says, time I am, destroyer of all the worlds. I mean, time is t taking away everything that we have. Hmm? So you may say, I, I, I don't want to give it up. <laughs> well, you may not. That's the problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, but what to do? Hmm? So when we're saying there's another I, another sense of self that will, that will arise as we cease to attach our sense of being to our sense of having. Hmm? There's being, there, there's, there's having, there's being, and what else is there? There's loving. This is karma, jnana, and bhakti. Hmm? You see? Karma is having, but it's a false having, because as much as you take, and thereby have, is as much as you owe. Hmm? So when your kids grow up a little bit, you'll realize, everything I have, I owe for. Hmm? I mean, this is in a more, more pragmatic sense. I have a house, but the bank really, I really owe the bank for the house. You know? <laughs> I have this car, but I really have a debt that I have to pay and so forth. So, <laughs> so yeah? Wait, but then, so, uh, what's the relation of that to having debt? Having debt? Yeah, because yeah you have a problem. That, that's what it is. Then you have a problem. You don't owe the debt? You own the debt. You owe the debt. You owe it, you own it, you owe it. Yeah. If you have a debt, that means you are in the karmic world. If you have, you have to understand, if you have a debt, what do you have? You have negative numbers. If zero is empty, how empty are negative numbers? So what is the value of having a debt? What is the value of having negative numbers? It's less than zero. Hmm? So there's not, you can have something, but there's no value in it. <laughs> so it's a meaningless having. Hmm? The having is meaningless. If I have something that has no value, <laughs> what do I have? I have nothing. In this case, I have less than nothing, because I could have had zero, <laughs> but instead I've got negative numbers. Hmm? It's a liability. Yeah. It's a liability.
Hmm? It's more of a liability than an asset. Yeah, more of a liability than an asset. So I'm just giving an example. But these terms, look at these beautiful terms in Hinduism, karma, gyan, bhakti, and how universal they are. They're not just some abstract Hindu, Hindi or Sanskrit terms. Karma refers to the whole idea of having and the being that's derived from having, hmm? which, is, which is vacuous, hmm? which doesn't endure, Hmm? And is and therefore is more of a liability than an asset. Ultimately, in, a, in an absolute sense, now that may be the absolute case, but of course we have to deal with it practically. Hmm? So karma is the principle of, of even in a religious context, religion for having. Many people do religion to have. I do religion to go to the priest and hope he he says I'll have a son or I get a wife or a daughter or whatever. Uh, go and put a rupee in the box and ask God to give me a thousand rupees. You know, I'll give you one. You give me ten. What do you think? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is uh, this is a very uh, very low idea of religion. Hmm? Hmm? This is a kind of a negotiation business deal with with God. It's good for for the vaishyas. Hmm? Yes. So. Having hmm? karma, this is problematic. Then knowing, so being derived from having is a problem because that being won't endure. Now, if we have knowing, we know false what the false value is. So we seek to invest in. We seek to investing in that, hmm? and we seek investing in the world of of acquisition and so forth. Then, then what happens, as I said, if you move away from just sense indulgence, you go within. So you start to get some mystic wisdom that there's something more hmm, than the vacuous life of so-called having, and that more is me. Hmm? That it's me that's talking about being and having. I mean, I do exist. There's a false me based on having, but I can only think about that if there's the real me. Hmm? So there's an Atman. Hmm? There's a self, an Atman. It's not human. It's not uh, American, Indian. It's not black or white or yellow or red or ma- male or female. Hmm? Its qualities are described in the Gita beautifully. Like they're, well, it's amazing, he says. <laughs> charge uh, it's, it's amazing and uh, it's beyond description and it's you hmm? and so from having to knowing or being in other words there's real being in knowing thyself knowing thyself not to be a made up person based on the false premise that this is mine hmm? an I arising from mine no, a real eye hmm? that doesn't need anything. For you get realized by eating, I'm dying. Hmm? You know, in other words, I'm identified with a biological system that won't endure unless I feed it. But, and I, but I'm not that. Hmm? I'm something else. And so, from having to being, but now to get from having to being is problematic. Because if I say to you, okay, ha- your sense of I derived from having is a problem. As I said, you're not going to go home and get a divorce tonight, you know. And and, and it, what are you going to do? How are you going to how are you going to move from this? You are you have a debt. <laughs> you do. It's a problem. You do have a debt. It's a big one. Hmm? And a karmic debt has been going on for lifetimes. And there's attachments. And so so how I may have theoretical knowledge. Yes, that makes sense, Swami. Yes, but how to act on that. Where's the power to act on that? Well, you could say you need to really increase your, your knowing, your knowledge, over and over again, and gradually, gradually, you're going to separate yourself from, from things and, and go into isolation. It's a difficult uh, idea. So the problem is solved in the Bhagavatam in a very nice way, and I'll end with this. Hmm? That we can move from having to being through loving. Hmm? 
which is what we're really trying to do in the world of having. We're really only having to love. I want to have a wife so I can love and have a family so that someone to love. Just need someone to love, they say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an old song from the 60s. You guys wouldn't know that. but <laughs> So, so you, you really, in all you're having, you're really only trying to love. Hmm? Hmm? And so bhakti is a way of loving hmm? by which you can give up the having and arrive at knowing hmm? in a very user-friendly uh, approach, really. And... What you get from that is not only that you move from having to knowing, and now you know, but you move from having to knowing into loving. Hmm? If I just move from having to knowing, then I don't have loving. But if I can move from having to knowing in the context of loving, then I get I get the knowing and I get the loving, and I can have Krishna. I can have something. Hmm? So the story of Shukadeva is, is complex, but the fact of the matter is his nakedness was not a result of going and lying on a bed of nails or something like that and practicing extreme austerities and so forth. But actually, he left home as a child and his father, Vyas, who was writing the Bhagavatam, his final piece, sent the woodcutter into the forest with certain poems, verses from the Bhagavatam. Hmm? Yeah. Like Nibhitita Shairupagiyamana Bhavosarachotram Manobiramat Kultamasloka Gunanu Arnam Pumambirajita Vinapashugnat Shutastanestuti, what is it, Stanish? So many nice poems about Krishna and Bhakti. And he thought he, these 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 sounds, right, have great power. The Upanishads, certain sounds. We said the Puranas. This is a special Purana of the Bhagavatam. It's about the love life of Krishna, about the excellence of Bhakti, the power of Bhakti. What to speak of the power of Bhakti to bring us out of having and take us beyond knowing? Bhakti has the power, as I said earlier, to bewilder Brahman to make Brahman dance. And it's everywhere, so how can it even move? But Krishna is dancing. That is the power of Radha. Hmm? That's why he's dancing. The power of Bhakti. So if Bhakti has the power to make make Brahman dance, turn God into a dancer, how much power does it have to, us to, to, to deliver us from attachment? And in an easy way, in a friendly way. Hmm? Hmm? So... Uh, Fyas reasoned, if my son is in the forest and he hears the woodcutter bringing firewood, singing these songs from the Bhagavatam, he will have an effect on him because Sukadev had a pure heart. He was detached. But he heard the songs of the Bhagavatam and he thought, that's peculiar. I have no material attachment, but these songs cause a longing in me. Longing for Krishna. He could understand Krishna is not material because I have no material attachment. But I'm finding a longing. So he, so he followed the woodcutter, and he came to the. Oh, it's the cottage of Vyas, my my, my father. And there he learned something more than gyan, more than the gyan that he had of atma gyan, hmm? more than the ananda of the atma, atmananda. He started to learn about and experience bhakti ananda, hmm? because ananda means love, and so you are a unit of love. I mean. As a, as a unit of Satchitananda, you're a unit of love. But, I mean, if you have someone else to share with, I mean, the love increases is the idea that in the world of consciousness, Krishna is the source. So, to love him. So, the point is that that is why Sukadev spoke this Bhagavat to Raj Parikit. It's a story of, of love. And in the context of the story, of course, his question is answered. We'll get to the answer tomorrow, but... But I wanted to conclude with this, and just let me underscore the point for the moment, in the final moment here, that bhakti is a very easy way to get out of debt, karmic debt, because the karmic debt has us predisposed in a certain way to doing certain things. 
We're attached to other people, to our family members. We work, we shop, we, we're really trying to love. That's why we cook for our family, cook something for you. You know, kids come, you must be hungry. We love them, we cook for them. We do all these things. This is all the world of karma. In the world of Gyan, you're just going to sit there, right? You don't need to eat. <laughs> Eating's a problem, remember? <laughs> kind of. Hmm? But we're looking at the world of karma as kind of a kind of a dim reflection of the world of bhakti. They look similar because bhaktas eat. Hmm? They may also go shopping. It's possible. We have a beautiful deity of Radha Madhava here. We went shopping to buy some sari and make it into and decorate decorate the deity. You see. So if I say to you, "Look, you're in debt. Hmm? This is the problem." You have an identity derived from that. Then how to change that? How to arrive at the detachment? That you bring you bring Bhagawan into your life. Hmm? And and you center your family around that. Hmm? So you love one another but 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 you celebrate not only your son's birthday, but Krishna's birthday. Dhanamostami, hmm? for example. Hmm? You entertain yourself by going to programs like this. Hmm? Kirtan, discussions, bring your family, these type of things. So you, you, you bring the most lovable object, so to speak, your own source, into your life. And the same things you're doing, just, I mean, it's very practical. How do you love God? Well, how do you love anybody? You say, would you like to go out to dinner? You know, you, that's the American way. You meet somebody, would you like to go out to dinner? So, can I buy you, can I buy you dinner tonight? You know? So this is an expression of love. It's very practical. So for Krishna, we cook for Krishna, we offer to him here, it's the same thing. And so it's very easy to do that. You're already doing it, in other words. We're just changing the focus. Hmm? There's a lot of wisdom to that. And in the context of that, you don't have to stop loving your wife or your husband or your kids. Hmm? Indeed, you can, you can love them that much more by being wise enough to teach them about an identity that transcends the limits of, I'm your father, you're my kids, that'll all change. You'll be a grandfather. They'll have kids. And, and, and then they'll, be, they'll become wise and tell you, Dad, I think, you know, sit down. It's not like that. <laughs> Adults become the children in the end, you know, again. So everything's changing like this around and around. <laughs> so anyway, I want to go on too long. I'll end with that. And tomorrow we'll discuss a little bit how the Bhagavatam answers the question of Brikshit Maharaj by emphasizing the the efficacy and ontological nature and efficacy of bhakti. Srimad Bhagavatam Kijai. Any question? What's the time? 6 30. So we started at 5 15, a little, little over an hour, not too long. Nice to be with you all again. You, uh, I had such a good time with you <laughs> last time you came. We talked. I met some. I don't remember everybody's names, but. I want to hear them again so I can remember them. And I'm glad we're going to meet tomorrow and then in, in Charlotte in your own setting where you have sometimes programs at one of those houses and so forth. I very look, much look forward to that. I, you make me feel very much at home. And I always like to talk to young, educated Indian people. A little <laughs> Your little religious interest. It's it's good for me. So again, thank you all very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Go on, Sri Krishna Kijai. Will there be a